you guys can quibble over your your video quality and your audio quality, but what I really just want are freaking captions. But okay, what if I don't have deaf or hard of hearing students? I have no hearing problem whatsoever, but I will watch captions when I'm on a plane. When I'm afraid of waking other people up in the in the house. I have a one-year-old at home. We like to watch videos and TV movies when he goes to bed. You bet that volume is down and those captions are You're on. listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. In Season 2, Episode 6, we talked about using multimedia as a tool for facilitating instruction. You might remember that our conversation included examples of multimedia, tools for production, and ideas for how to implement multimedia presentations in courses. Although there has been an increase in the availability and development of online tools, along with easier access to learning how to implement those tools for instruction, there are still some misconceptions about their use in courses as a way to maintain student engagement. In today's episode, we're going to continue the conversation of multimedia by taking a look at the elements of an effective online presentation while busting some myths. We recently participated in a webinar hosted by Quality Matters and presented by a former Instruction by Design facilitator, Stephen Crawford. The title of the webinar was Busting Multimedia Myths, an Evidence-Based Approach to Quality Instructional Media. In this webinar, Stephen focused on identifying misconceptions about the use of instructional media in courses and provided research-based evidence to inform on the practice of developing online presentations using multimedia. Much like anything else in education and course building, designing an effective online presentation using instructional media tools takes purpose, strategy, and practice. Whenever we begin to implement new concepts in teaching and learning, there will always be a need for clarity and evidence-based support. Let's dig further into this topic and bust some myths. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Celia Kachwaitiwa from ASU's Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Joining me today are my colleagues, Jeanette Senecal, Aaron Kraft. And we also have two special guests. We would like to welcome back a familiar voice. Stephen Crawford. Along what? with another colleague of ours. Michael Morimarco. They both come to us as experts in the field of multimedia, and we are excited to have them. Stephen, can you tell us a little bit about where you've been? I've been trying to hide under a rock. <laughs> um, no, actually, seriously, I've been uh, with the Maricopa Community Colleges. I am the district director for the Maricopa Center for Learning and Innovation out of our district office. So I work with the 10 colleges here in the county. Awesome. How's that going? It's been going great. We're having a lot of good stuff happening. Um, working with some great faculty, some great staff. It's a really great team and uh, it, it's, it's a fun place to be. Well, we definitely miss you here on the IBD podcast. And I miss you guys as well, but I still listen to every episode. Awesome. Oh, you're that one like. <laughs> kidding. Uh, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with multimedia? Yes, absolutely. Longtime listener, first time caller. Um, so I have known this team for quite a while as I also work for the, the Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation I'm the project manager for the Center for Advancing Interprofessional Practice, Education, and Research, and I just so happen to be the executive producer of their podcast, Caper Confabs, which is all about health professions, interprofessional learning. 
And so that's where sort of my expertise comes into this arena. I'm thrilled to have been invited to help out today in any way that I can. Well, we're excited to have you. It's like a little podcast party in here. So let's get started. Well, it is a reunion after all. That is true. True. All right. So to start off, let's do a review of what the various instructional media categories are. What are some examples of how to use them? Well, first, uh, we have video. In the context of an online course, videos are used for course introductions. It's always nice to see your professor saying hello to you. You see that they're a real person, a real human being when you uh, hop into that course for the first time. And I'm biased, but I will throw out podcasts there as a wonderful medium. And for me, I just love it because of the reach. You guys have this very large focus on sort of the classroom experience. But for me, our particular podcast is attempting to reach learners, you know, reach learners where they're at. So we're looking to reach practitioners and folks outside of the academic setting. So the podcast medium is a really good uh, way to reach those kinds of audiences for us. I'm going to pick on uh, video presentations because I think that one doesn't get the the due it's deserving. Um, it's great for doing course introductions, personal introductions, module introductions, because of the fact that you can throw images up there and they're quick and easy to create. There's such great tools out there to, to do them and to update them. And, and they're really good for, for, for presenting lectures. And I know lecture can be a dirty word to a lot of people, but frankly, it's still an easy way to transmit information from one person to another. Um, as long as you don't, as long as you're using good presentation styles and not having a ton of words on the slide and you're having good, strong images that support what you're saying, I think voiceover presentations is the most overlooked, but yet very effective uh, style to think about. Well, and those can be really sustainable to develop, too, because sometimes you can create something that, you know, in, in repurposing it, you only have to update a portion as opposed to like a one take wonder with a video where you'd have to start over from the beginning. Potentially in many cases, yeah, because most people don't have the editing skills to do that with a mm -hmm. video. With, with these slide things, it's almost easy to just hit a button and re just do the ones you, slides you need to change and then just re-records it or everything else see right so you're matching your voice to a slide and you're basically recording each slide uh, individually that way if you need to go back later and update a slide you just go to that one re-record your lecture over that save it yeah, back in the course exactly which is why i think it's so overlooked and but yet it shouldn't be because it, it's that power that it, it has what is it adobe presenter is one of the more popular oh. There's Adobe Presenter, there's uh, uh, TechSmith Camtasia has a feature oh, yeah. that takes advantage of that. You have Adobe Spark, which works Spark. great on yeah. the iPad as well as on a web-based app. I mean, there's lots of choices out there. Isn't there are even some functions within PowerPoint itself yes, to, yes. to do this? So Yeah. Yeah, you can do that with the Microsoft Office version of PowerPoint. Some of the plugins no longer exist from Microsoft, but um, so it's not as functional as it used to be. But well, so these kinds of voiceovers, you know, it's been a while since I've been in a classroom, but I remember not necessarily enjoying them all that much. Is oh. this something that's still resonating with students? What did you not like about them? Well, so I was very traditional. I liked being in person. So whenever I had an online course and it was those sorts of voiceovers, I missed being able to see my professor. Oh, you like the verbal and physical cues that you would yeah. get when you could actually see I them. I guess. I guess that's so kind of what I was missing. You would perhaps prefer video of the instructor. Yeah. 
which I think we'll touch on a little bit later when we get into the questions about multimedia myths. Mm. Nice. What about screencasting as a category? What is screencasting again? Well, <laughs> you know, our listeners could go check out that episode we had recently fully focused on screencasting. Oh, uh, yeah. But in a nutshell, basically a recording of something happening on a computer screen. So maybe there's an element of lecture paired with a demonstration of something, conducting a search at the library where, uh, you know, the recorder narrates what's happening on the screen. I feel like that would be extremely effective for me personally. Those kinds of demonstrations would be fantastic. I find that they're really helpful if a student has a quick question, you can quickly record it and then send it over to them. I like one thing to love about screencasts is if showing procedures of how to do things in websites. Um, one of my early most produced and organized uh, screencasts I did kind of that kind of got me really going. The screencasts are powerful was working with a librarian and a faculty member to talk about how to do a search using the library resources. So the faculty member was walking them through, here's how you structure your questions, here's how you get your key terms, and then the librarian was talking through, and here's how you use this search tool. And notice if you do X, Y, and Z, you can get to this type of article that answers the type of question you're trying to do. So I, and, and that way the student could see what was happening. Of course, as soon as the interface got updated, we had to redo the entire screencast again, but that was okay because the student could watch it and see how to, exactly how to do it and where, what to click and where on the screen. And that's a caveat. Like we just uh, transitioned from one LMS to another, one learning management system to another. And so all of these videos that might exist about how to navigate your course need to be updated now. All right. So thank you for that quick review of the categories. So we talked about audio, screencasting, voiceover, video, but now let's get into those misconceptions. So in Steven's webinar, he talked about using instructional media in the classroom. So let's take a look at the first question. Does including video in my course make a difference for students? What kind of course? What modality are we talking about? Any? That's true. So Michael, you talked about not really caring for the um, voiceover presentation, which it's I know that's not video necessarily. Was that used as a supplement or was that used as the full instruction for you? So for the particular online course that's coming to mind, it was used as the full instruction. That was every lesson um, was a full uh, PowerPoint uh, voiceover. Um, but I'm also thinking about it now, an effective course, it was actually a biometry course that was sort of, there was an in-person component, but a lot of online learning. And the instructor, the instructor would create videos of himself uh, going through some of these operations. And now that I'm remembering, there was screencasting <laughs> involved. Yeah. He was actually... In the software, we were using a statistical package called R, and he was actually, you know, screencasting himself uh, doing some uh, some functions within the program in these sort of this online component to the course. And I remember mm -hmm. that being very effective for me. Like Khan Academy style videos? No, not where he's sort of... The, the Khan Academy style, you're, you're talking about where someone is sort of drawing... It, to me, it seems or, essentially like screencasting. You're capturing what's happening on the screen, but then he's he's demonstrating on the screen in the lesson, basically. Right. 
No, this was more basically, here's the program that you're going to be working in, and to complete this function, enter these codes, but just actually screencasting himself doing it instead of just saying, do this function, actually showing you. And that demonstrative portion was very effective for me personally. So so one of the problems that video suffers from being used as an online resource in courses goes back to the early days of online learning. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, it's 2019, and I'm like, holy cow, it's been 20 years since I helped move and built a bank of video encoders to stream a classroom that we were already doing video out of to multiple sites across the world over satellite, and now we're doing it over the internet, and then they were archiving them. These were three-hour class sessions once a week being held and, you know, and then so students who missed the class were watch or, you know, either watching them in 2000, sorry, in 1999, they're still watching them on VHS tapes, tapes if I remember correctly. So that gives you an idea. <laughs> um, or they're watching them online in three hour chunks. So and if you did catch it in, in, in real time and you were reviewing it, it's in three hour chunks. So a lot of the negativity I think you see goes back to those days of the nineties where it was these videotapes and then the early internet video. The problem with early online learning was we just did what we were doing previously, just fully online. So a three hour class with a lecture was good. A three hour lecture video was also good. We now know better, thankfully. Um, and, you know, and one of the things I think that, that, I think that's where some of the negative influences come from. But when you do video well, I think you, you – in fact, the research shows that it does increase student satisfaction uh, for a number of reasons. Um, and one example about video versus, say, PowerPoint plus audio, and I'm not saying screencast or, or voice over presentations. I'm talking about a plain audio file with a separate PowerPoint file. Mm-hmm. A lot of students report in the research – that they don't even look at the PowerPoint file; they just listen to the audio. Um, so we know that that it, that it's a yes, but that video does help. But we also know it's a yes, but, and and that can you know. And we also know that students do stop watching videos towards the end of a course, especially if they're in that older model. And and you know we'll start you know as videos are get too long, and we'll talk about that later. I'm sure that becomes an issue, and so. Just saying video by itself is good. You can't, yes, it is helpful, but you can't just by itself say it's good because there's so many other factors involved. That's kind of striking to me because if I recall correctly, it seems like from the late 70s, there was research being done towards effective telecommunications uh, strategies, I should say, effective telecommunication strategies. Yet when the moment came where online started to take off, the first thing we did was try to basically record a lecture, lecturer. Oh, yeah. And then just stream that to well, the Well, look audience. at the last 125 years of education. The newest technology is going to change education forever and we'll never look back. And that's how it's going to be. We're going to get rid of teachers because we have books. And then it was, we're going to get rid of teachers because we have radio. And then we're going to get rid of teachers because we have television. And then we're going to get rid of teachers. I forgot, I forgot in the middle, there was probably you know, albums. You could buy albums of, teach, of lectures. And then radio. And then television. And then the computer. And then the internet and then online video. I mean, we've been trying to say that the latest technology is the one that's finally going to do it after 125 years. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there now saying VR is going to change, the, change everything like it hasn't for the last 125 years. We know it won't, but we mm-hmm. still say it. All right. So let's take a look at the next question. 
when you're using video, how long is too long? Now that you're talking about those longer videos that from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about how long will you guys watch a video online? When do you quit and why? Depends how, how much I want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it depends on why I'm watching a video because yeah, I have no problem watch. sitting down and watching a 20 minute episode of, of television. But for an instructional video, for for these con style um, videos, if they go too far past five minutes, I, I'm probably yeah. losing the plot. Because mm -hmm. nowadays we want quick information. We want infographic style learning where we can absorb the important and highlighted points quickly. Right. We want to go straight to that little bit that we need to do whatever it is we're trying to do. Exactly. If we're trying yes. to solve a problem or whatever that happens to be. We don't really want the preamble oftentimes. Just yeah. tell us how to do the thing. Mm -hmm. That's very true. When I watch uh, like DIY videos on YouTube and I'm trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to do something, I usually bypass the first part where they're just kind of leading into it. And I try to find the area <laughs> where they start actually working through the steps. You need a screwdriver and a hammer. Click, exactly. click, click. <laughs> it's, it's the Leroy Jenkins rule. Leroy <laughs> 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 Jenkins! <laughs> Anybody who doesn't know what that is, just Google, Google it. Google, 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 Google that. Oh my goodness. Well, now we have to put that in the resource page. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm reading a commentary right now on Netflix, and um, it's really interesting to think about television today, and I'm going to start with entertainment on purpose. So there's a very popular series of shows that will be leaving Netflix in the very near future called the Marvel Universe from Marvel Studios. And there's a number of great shows. I thought you were going to The Office. I was going to okay. say The Office is leaving. <laughs> <laughs> the Office is leaving for money. Um, the reason why Marvel probably could have done better is that they were stuck with a television mindset. A television season is a certain number of episodes. So if you look at all the Marvel series on Netflix, they're all 13 episodes. Yep. Whether they needed to be or not to tell the story, they were 13 episodes. You look at some of the newer shows that have been coming out, they're six, yep. they're five, they're four. They're There's following no the Yeah, they're following the they British tell the model. Story. Yeah, the mm -hmm. British model is like, how many episodes do you need to tell a story? We'd like to get the 10, we'd like to get the six, but some of our favorite shows like Sherlock, were like three and four episodes for Precisely. the entire season. Well, the British version of The Office, the same thing. Yeah. The two seasons were different episodes for a different number of episodes each season. Exactly. And the thing is, and also think about how we are today. We will binge all those episodes, no matter how many there are, in one day. We will. And so you think about, and you think about the why, you know? So obviously, we're willing to watch, to watch television, watch a video on our iPad for hours on end. So that tells us there really is no true limit on how long video can be. But how long does it hold our attention is the next question. And obviously th there, there's a broadcast theory, and this is what informed, I think, a lot of our uh, early online videos as people from, from the broadcast world, because a lot of our online videos were televised. It was done in a TV studio or some makeshift version of that. And so it had to be edutainment. It had to be, you got to package it like Mythbusters. You got to tell a story this way or the other, and you got to merge all these threads. And it's like, no, this is not edutainment. This is education. And so that's where you see chunking. 
and chunking is very important. And we see right. from the from you know the 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 uh, research is kind of saying yeah, six minutes makes sense. And we were talking about the 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 issue with voiceover presentations. By keeping it short, it's easy to edit and fix. If you've got to re-record a segment, you can re-record that entire video, just dump the six minutes or less and do it from scratch. And that, But the problem is we came from a lecture format, which was 50 minutes, yep. and therefore we must lecture 45 to 50 minutes. Now, I will tell you, people will watch a 45, 50 minute lecture, usually if it's inter held their attention. If I'm going to do a video that long, it's usually going to be an interview of somebody who's very intriguing and they're having a very important conversation. But if I'm teaching somebody something with a video, I'm not going to go that long. I'm going to stick to that six minute rule. I mean, we, we do know that um, from a couple of studies, there was one that shows, you know, people start dropping off at a minute and a half, three minutes, which means if you've got, you need to be concise in what you say. Right. And I like how you, you talked about sort of chunking it up because... I think what has been effective has been sort of these uh, interactive types of media. And maybe Jeanette can speak, and Celia as well, speak a little bit to some of the online modules that were developed uh, for CAPER, for the center, where you're mixing that sort of voiceover with video, with interactive uh, portions. And I feel like that can allow for holding the attention because it's not just one long string. You're not passive in that. That is very yeah. true because those are very segmented. Right. There. Right. And it gives learners an opportunity to, to check their knowledge as well. So they're getting that, that formative assessment piece. Exactly. Which will, you know, if, if we hope that our instructional materials are doing a good job, that they're going to get to that midpoint and take a moment to do a little activity. And it validates that they are getting what they need so that hopefully that motivates again them to continue on. So yeah, it's and, very effective. And think about podcasts. What's the magic podcast length? As long as it needs to be. I mean, if Joe Rogan can go three hours and have <laughs> and have and be a number one podcast on exactly. iTunes. Mark Maron, not, 90 minutes. Yeah. I'm not saying we yeah. need to go that long, but no, no, let's do it. Let's have a marathon right now. <laughs> <laughs> then let me go pace for some more parking because <laughs> But I mean, but that's just it. How long does it need to be? And and when you get too long, you better you should have stopped by then. And you gotta be conscious of that. It takes planning. Okay, so we're talking about video and we're talking about uh, video showing instructional pieces, but don't the students want to see me talk? No. <laughs> yeah, so now I, I watched your presentation that you did, the webinar you gave, and this one, I was, I was curious about this one. So basically, at one point you said that generally speaking, students don't want to see was it just the face of the instructor talking or like literally just the instructor at all? Like a talking head? Like a talking head, yeah. That's a good one to talk. Yeah, I mean, and the, and the real answer is not really. The answer is not a flat no. Um, what, again, this goes back to the broadcast idea. So when I began in distance learning, the institution I was at would have the instructor in a classroom, sitting behind a desk, running their PowerPoint, students in the classroom, and then students who were live remote at the same time who could then hit a button and their voice would come in over the loudspeakers and they had a live producer. So with that setup, what they would do is the faculty member would start with their PowerPoint or well, they'd start video on the instructor and they'd introduce the class. And that, I think that's a good thing. Um, it's one of the reasons why I do say that we do need to see the faculty member 
in the course introduction, if nowhere else. It, they need to, you need to build that. You have to build that human connection. Um, but after that, when you get into the content, it can become distracting. And, and in fact, there is, uh, an, I'll go ahead and move into this question as we hit it. But um, one of the things you, you run into is that, so those early days, they were insisting on doing picture in picture. You got to mm -hmm. have that little square or circle carved out in one of the corners well, so you can see the like instructor. Because that was like a cool feature. <laughs> it was a, yeah. I know when I got my first TV that had that, it was well, like, That's what cool. newscasters do. That's picture what, but, but, yeah. Yeah. And that was just it. A lot of these early producers in higher ed, especially some of the ones I worked with, came from news stations. Oh, really? So they were used to dropping that in, you know, one way or another. So you have your words content on the screen. And then you have in that corner, you would have the instructor and they were adept enough because they were doing this live. They go, oh, they're now talking about those bottom lines and the picture and pictures covering those lines. I can either turn off the picture and picture or move it to a different uh, corner. Or if they were taking up the whole screen, just turn it off completely. Fancy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you're doing it live and you have yeah. a full production suite that that you can do it all right then and there, it's, it's great. Um I'm just glad you pulled out this idea that social presence, that interaction and connection that you can develop between an instructor and a class, especially if we're talking fully online, it doesn't have to just be about video. That may be a piece, that may be a portion that you start with in your introduction phase, but there are other ways to reinforce social connection that don't rely on video at all. Yeah, I mean, a good if you're doing a good voiceover presentation, a good photograph on the title slide works. And think about that. If, if, you ha if you saw the instructor in a voiceover presentation and their picture was in the corner of every single slide, do you think that is weird? But yet we don't think it's weird on video because of what we've seen with, especially in the 80s and 90s with uh, video and how it was done then. You don't see that picture in picture as much now. Where you see it more often is in sporting events. And I think of uh, my parents' favorite sport, uh, NASCAR, where they're interviewing someone and you see in one box them talking and then you see in the other box the actual race going on. Or they're doing yeah. in baseball more and more now. They're doing in-game interviews yep. in basketball. So you're seeing that more and more. But you also see when the action's good, we don't care. We're not looking at them. We're watching the action in the other box. If not, they drop the other box altogether. Well, Michael had said earlier that he actually wants to see the instructor, mm -hmm. like in his online courses, he'd like to see them so he can get the, those verbal physical cues that you don't otherwise see. And I think maybe that's, maybe, and clearly it sounds like from the research, maybe I'm the odd one out there. I'm, I'm going to, uh, let's, let's tease it out a little bit. Yeah. So let's think about when you want to see an instructor. I'm going to guess it's for demonstrations when they're actually doing something. And there was, there was one study I came across where they studied uh, someone doing an assembly of a device and they created two videos. One of them was a table to top a head shot. So you saw the whole upper body and them assembling the device on the on table. The table. Mm. And the other video was just their hands and the objects on the table assembling it. They wanted to see the hands. They wanted to see the parts of the instructor that mattered. And it wasn't the face. Mm -hmm. They wanted to see the hands actually manipulating the device. Right. They didn't really care about, especially when it came to the demonstration part. So I think when you when you think about demonstrations, when you see, you know, if we're doing a multi-person, like a, like a case study, and we're showing people, that's when you really want to see things. Because now, now the whole body starts to tell the story, where Absolutely. they're looking and everything else. Right. If you're just talking to the camera... If I lose focus of the lens at any time, that means I'm breaking eye contact with the students. And that can be distracting for the student who's watching because now you're not looking at me anymore. 
And that's another really? reason that think about from that oh, standpoint, if, if you're not looking directly into the lens, you're not looking at your students. It's a very journalistic. Uh, yeah. That? In early days, yeah. too, with webcams that mm-hmm. were kind of clunky and bigger on desktops, you know, you might have your screen where you're recording and you're looking at your materials and the webcam's off to the side and yeah. it looks a little a little yeah. like there's a disconnect. Now, yeah, you're looking past the student. I'm wondering, though, how that or if it will shift in the world of influencers and vlogs more and more students are sitting there watching all these videos with somebody just talking to them or demonstrating, but they're actually seeing them and they follow these people and they think will about that shift. Anything? Think about the good ones. Casey Neistat. I, 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 He's a great example because he's a runner. Uh, he does some really cool stuff with tech. Uh, I love what he does with drones and some of his uh, videography and photography uh, reviews. And it's a great, you know, writing faculty when, when, um, for composition, their students say, I don't need to learn to write because the fact that I'm going to be a video blogger, I'm going to be on YouTube, I'm going to be a YouTube star. I guarantee you almost every single one of them has scripted out in writing what they're going to say ahead of time, rehearsed it, so you need to write. And then the last thing they're doing is when they perform, they're looking into the camera. They know that eye contact is important. So they perform. Yeah, That's they're the performing. Word. And so Casey, I mean, he he may have that camera on the ground looking at the drone that he just landed, and he will squat down and look directly into it. And so he's making that eye contact with you. And the product, if you will, that makes that appealing from a subscriber point of view is they're selling personality. It's not mm-hmm. just the drone or just the beauty tips or whatever, <laughs> exactly. but it's that personality that you feel like you get to know that person on right. a more personal level. Now, when they're doing the demonstration of the beauty tips, who cares? Because <laughs> now doing the actual actions what matters so the eye contact doesn't but when they're talking to the person before and after that eye contact needs to be there mm-hmm. and so that's why that social presence is important to establish but not maintain the entire time so when you think about a lecture that's why you don't need the picture in picture because the eye contact is can be distracting because it's like who should i be paying attention to the person looking directly at me or the content being discussed so maybe if you're setting up the lesson you can go ahead and talk to the camera full you know, body or, you know, the uh, face, upper shoulders and face. But once you get into the lesson itself to reduce distractions, you want to basically shift the focus towards the content and away from the instructor. Exactly. And if you're doing a really good content presentation, you're going to open by telling the student why this is important to them. So you need to communicate directly to them. And then you're going to close with why that was important to them. And hopefully on both ends, when you begin, link it to prior knowledge and at the end, link it to future knowledge. And that way, the middle part, you're you're talking to the student doesn't matter as much. So who cares about you? It's now about the content. So this cool tool on the idea of social presence and having the eye contact with the video. Um, My nephew was at my daughter's volleyball tournament and he's just getting into photography and video. And he brought this device. It was a DJI video stabilizer and he was letting me play with it. it And I thought it was the, yes, the coolest thing because he set his um, iPhone into the device and all he had to do was draw a box on someone's face and it would follow them. So it was constantly keeping contact with the one piece that you Mm -hmm. marked. That is amazing technology. Exactly. And then I did it on selfie mode because, of course, you have to try it with selfie. (laughs) And we were walking and, you know, keeping it stable, but being able to kind of move around but still have it stay on me, I thought 
this would be awesome if I was an instructor and I was, you know, out on the field trying to talk to them yeah. about something so and right. I could, you know, show So DJI sells three tools that has that built into it. That, if you guys remember back in the day, I had that original stick for my iPhone. Mm -hmm. It That was the first that was the first product from DJI to do that. And what I don't like about it is, because this is me being a photographer and now getting creative, it centers it on the screen. So it puts too much headspace above it, mm. which uh, drives me okay. nuts. But other than that, it's awesome. And then the second device that does that was one of their drones. It was the smaller one, um, the Mavic. That wasn't the Mavic. It was the one before, the one that was a fold-up one. And that one is, you're supposed to be able to take that, you know, it drew the same thing and it will, and then tell it to fly around you and it will stay locked on you. That camera will stay locked just like you're talking about. And then of course the, the Osmo pocket is just, you know, for as small as that sucker is, you don't even have to have a phone. You can't do what you, the feature you're talking about without the phone plugged in, but you can use it without a phone as well. When I think of the world of technology, when I was doing video in 2000 and <laughs> compared to now, I'm like, <laughs> Wow, they've made everything so much easier. <laughs> All right, so Stephen, you were leading into this. If I'm not on the screen, what do students want to see? Yeah, we talked about demonstrations. I mean, that's that that's the easy one. Uh, that's what they really want to see. Um, obviously, if you're if you're carrying out some sort of performance, I mean, we did a, a project here a couple of years ago where. Um, we had a patient on screen and we ran through an interprofessional activity uh, showing a demonstration. So things like that, not just we talked earlier about the, the close up, you know, assembling or doing something, but, you know, you, you know, actually doing something or some sort of interactions. They want to see see things like that. Um, the 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 industry term often gets used called B-roll. And so for an example, and unfortunately, a lot of videos now is almost composed entirely of B-roll. The idea behind B-roll is this is what you show when the speaker has been on camera too long. So for an example, when you watch a news story and someone's talking about the new park that just opened, think about the news story. They'll start by focusing on the person talking to the journalist. They'll close with the person talking to the journalist usually. And in the middle, they'll show B-roll, just random video they shot of the park as the person's talking about the park. So if you're talking about a cityscape, you know, if you're, if you're doing some urban planning and you're talking about certain types, yeah, if you've got photographs or a video that you can drop in, that that's what more important. That sends a better message because it highlights what you're talking about. And that's really what you want to get down to is you want to make sure you're highlighting key information when you're not doing a demonstration. You want to have those photos. You want to have that B-roll um, of just the thing you're talking about, or you may even want to have a slide of some sort with keywords, not a lot of words, but keywords showing what's important. So in talking about demonstrations, so they do want to see demonstrations, but maybe the close-up of the hands. Should showing what's important, actually. Or, or showing yeah. what's important. Well, because there's sorry. the Khan Academy mm -hmm. uh, model as well, where it's basically a screencast of a, whatever software they're using. I'm not sure. So you don't see the hands, so the pad, necessarily. The in the old, days it, in the old the, days, it was him writing, writing on a pad with a camera above his hand, and that's all it was. Is that what you're talking about? Nowadays, you, you can use a Wacom tablet and just write on the tablet. Wacom, the tablet, which, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so then if Khan Academy is using something like that, where they're showing demonstrations on the on the Wacom, um, what about including videos of tutoring students? Do they want to see those? See, I've never even heard of that before. So this tutoring was, students, oh. right? No, I mean oh. in preparation for this podcast, I looked, I saw that, <laughs> and well, actually watching Stephen's webinar too. But mm -hmm. I've never heard of creating a video 
where you're basically recording the teacher tutoring a student. Yeah, so I don't know quite a few of those. I don't know what the literature says about this one, but I find the concept creepy. Weird. (laughs) It is. It is a little odd. Um, You know, (laughs) but I've seen it. I've seen it work when it's sort of this role playing kind of thing Mm. where... You know, it's 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 a little more theatrical. Um, so there's a narrative, I, 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 right? Exactly. Kinda. For really instance, I, um, one that's coming to mind is a video I've watched before on on negotiation tactics, and basically, it's this professional negotiator who has his uh, you know buddy on the screen, and they're sort of acting like sparring partners, and so he's teaching this guy how to negotiate by actually having someone there to negotiate with. See, now that I think would work. But if you're teaching a math concept, I think that's where it's like a little different. It, ma- it makes me think of like reading Rainbow or something. True. You have the kids kind of sitting there while you're teaching them. And right. <laughs> I think it absolutely <laughs> depends what you're trying to teach. Yeah. I think that's where it goes back to. So if you go back to the 80s um, and you think of some of those professional seminars that people would run and they were really good speakers and they like to have right. basically the only difference from their normal city to city web uh, seminar they would run where they would talk all day long would be that they would then have a real small studio and they may limit it to 20 to 50 people depending on how things were set up and they'd give their normal seminar presentation and and so they would walk among the audience like they would in the seminar and there'd be these camera shots with the b-roll going back to that term (laughs) of someone nodding and listening along and going yep i get that (laughs) and then there'd be occasional where they'll let them do q a from the audience and they'll actually have people ask questions i think that's where it stems from and then you go into the 90s as we moved more into started doing online learning we started recording classrooms. I mean, you know, and in some places, again, my, one of my previous institutions, we built special classrooms solely for this purpose, for the faculty member to teach to 30 to 50 people in the room in front of them, as well as have that video recorded and sent out so students in the classroom could ask questions. And the idea was, oh, look, they're asking the question I was going to ask, and they get that answered. Because otherwise, the thought was the faculty member has no feedback, therefore they're just going to keep lecturing like everybody knows what's going on, everybody's happy, and everybody's getting it, but we know that's not always the case, and that's why we have questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that kind of fell out of favor, but you go back to the edutainment. You go back to the idea of some of these kids' shows. You know, go back to go back even further to the old Mickey Mouse Club where you had a handful of kids whose sole purpose was to be those kids who represented the kids in the audience at home. And that's the idea of what you're looking at with this model. And I will tell you, I am I I spoke to the researchers on this one because I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This study was done at the Tempe campus. Um, and, and, and they do have a studio set up for that. Exactly. And, and, and I, I, I just, when I heard it, I'm going this, this, no, 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 I can't. And, <laughs> but, what, but the research, the research is leaving the door open for it and saying it can be, they, they have one case where it clearly was going, Hey, this is making a difference. And it was that idea that you had two students who was being recorded. Now, they may have already been through the class before, and so they may have been prompted with some trip ups, or they they knew where their trip ups were, or they may have been uh, specifically, hey, these are just two students who are at the same level as the students who'll be watching this, and so they were able to ask questions 
and get the and basically help pull from the faculty member explain that a different way. And so that's the usage of it. And that's where we're seeing that come across. Because you think about it from a faculty member standpoint, when they record the video, they got it perfect. They got it right because no one asked questions. Mind you, the only people in the room often is them, the camera, and the person running the camera. So the person running the camera doesn't know enough usually to ask questions, and, and nor would they in most cases because their job is to run the camera. And so... It, it becomes one of those things of, okay, so how do you get feedback to the faculty? And so we're seeing where that does make sense and it's not distracting, which again, I, I had a hard time going with, but the paper and the data says what it says. So I'm looking forward to seeing some more studies on this one. It's a little harder to set up. You need a full studio. You need to do a lot more stuff. So the question is, is it worth it? I, I don't know. Interesting, because my next question, some of this sounds a little complicating, do, you, do I need a high-quality studio to record video? I can say that easily. No. No. All right, next question. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah, right along. I mean, right. Well, what, you guys have played with video, right? It's not, it's not always feasible to have a, a full-fledged recording studio, but I think technology these days, the, the camera on an iPhone is amazing. The camera on my Android exactly. Pixel phone is like fantastic. You can get HD camera anywhere. Yeah. Well, so. And I know so many faculty who are starting to use their laptop webcams because the laptops now, um, most of them, I think, come with webcams. And so they've figured out how to just mm -hmm. record off of those. Even simplified in. editing capacities are so much, you know, it's not readily available. Video, it's, and I'm an audiophile, so it's the audio. That's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that point. I'm going to go to that sticking point. Well, I'm an audiophile. I'm an audio guy. That's a good point, though. Well, being an audio guy, what's in, talk about what's in front of us. This isn't, we're not in a studio. No, we're not. Sure. We're not Take in a, a room on Twitter. with... Uh, with posting <laughs> pictures. <laughs> <laughs> we're not in the padded room, folks. <laughs> we're not in the padded room. We don't have any cartons <laughs> all over be, us. All around us. There are some pretzels and buffalo dip. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Exactly. That helps absorb the sound. We have windows. We're padded by carbs. <laughs> so the room itself isn't what you would call a recording room. We have decent microphones in front of us, but they're not breaking the bank. Yeah, they're just sub $100 microphones. Exactly. But I think the point you're trying to make perhaps is that while there are a lot of HD cameras out there that are available, I don't 4K think there's... I my don't, phone. Right. I don't think there's the same quality of oh. audio just through your um, just through your phone microphone. Paying for a $60 microphone can improve your audio so much more yep. than if you're just using your phone or a standard laptop microphone is they're not nearly as good. When people go right to learning how to say edit video, but they don't pay attention to the audio. So, but are you are, saying that we need that in order to put these videos out there in a course? Or know, are you just deploying a rant card? Because Yes and no. I do think <laughs> audio is important. Am I ranting here? I'll leave that up to y'all. He's probably <laughs> ranting because he has to listen to us when he edits these podcasts. <laughs> right. I, I no, feel it's a that. good point, Aaron. It really is an important point. I'm going to say that Aaron's not ranting because the research backs him. Woohoo! Woo well, that's a first. Strange <laughs> <laughs> things have happened. I mean, but that's just it. You know, uh, Corey Lamonte, I, I had a chance to um, uh, serve on her dissertation committee and her topic was about course introductory videos and was the one that was done in a high quality studio with a green screen that had the, the background placed out and all the lighting and all the audio versus 
the one she recorded using um, a microphone attached to her phone. I think it was, I think she had a microphone attached to her phone um, in an office. And the study came back saying we liked the, the DIY version better. The audio was good enough. The, it, and they said because she was in her office with their books behind her and everything else, it actually felt like I was talking to a person and not a robot um, because it looked more personable. I think there's something to be said about that. Um, you know, I'm not saying don't build one button studios and other studios because they have their usage. But if you're comfortable, you can set your phone up and you can do a one take wonder. There's a lot of people out there who said video editing should include two things, cutting off the front, cutting off the end and posting it as three things. Um, but, but trimming and posting. Trimming and posting. I mean, because anything in between, if you have to do a lot of cutting and pasting and adding and, and you're, you know, you don't have to. And you, then you get into the tools. If you're on an iPhone or iPad, iMovie, I mean, the newest version of iMovie and the iPad, you can do green screen with it. I mean, mm -hmm. I can record a video on my, on my iPad and with a green screen behind me and swap out the background. I don't even need a desktop computer anymore. You guys can quibble over your, your video quality and your audio quality, but what I really just want are freaking captions, okay? Because ah. I need to read along to take it in. But what if I don't have deaf or hard of hearing students? Why yeah. do I have to have the captions? Didn't you listen to that other episode we produced? <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, I, I have no hearing problem whatsoever, but I will watch captions when I'm on a plane. When I am afraid of waking other people up in the in the house. Exactly. I was just going to jump in with that. I have a one year old at home. We like to watch videos and TV movies when he goes to bed. You bet that volume is down and those captions are on. So the scenarios are out there. It just helps me with like understanding and taking things in a little quicker. I, you know, it's not really a it's a preference, I guess, more than anything else. But I find that's where I do get frustrated with instructional videos. They may be short, they may be one take wonders, but I really need a little bit of captioning to help make the most sense of them. Well, and it's, it's just inclusive. Yes. Well, and the thing is, you're seeing where a majority of people, whenever they're surveyed, regardless of their hearing abilities, want captions. Majority. And you're seeing you know, people who, have, uh, who are, are, uh, speak English as a second language. It just helps reconfirm the, the, the terms correctly, especially if you're in a term-heavy course. Um, it just helps improve clarity and, you know, and anybody with any cognitive disabilities, it just gives them a chance to really help them process, um, which is why they have to be accurate using, I, I, I love, I love the live captions that come from Google. And I will tell you the first thing I do within an hour of them popping up in my video is I fix them because 80% accuracy for a person who's hoping to make a C is not good enough because I've now put them in a deeper hole. So the bottom line is they've got to be 100% accurate. Well, in one of our summer episodes, uh, Jeanette talked about our transcripts from our podcasts and yes, how interesting some of those conversation conversations came out yes, in indeed. the, uh, <laughs> the um, transcripts. All right. So are there any other misconceptions or thoughts that you want to add about using multimedia? So one of the things that has come to mind as we're talking about this, and Jeanette, you touched on it a little bit when uh, Michael talked about the caper videos that have come out with for interprofessional education, is the fact that those some of those videos include 
stopping points include segmenting so it switches up a little bit and it has um you know kind of some breaks within the storyline and an interactive component what mm -hmm. about a question of video being passive learning versus active learning so i'm gonna i'm gonna shout out to bonnie stahoviach who i was listening to her uh her uh, teaching in higher ed podcast her episode 264, I think, that came out yesterday. I was listening to that this morning, and she talked about the old days of online learning where we called it interactive if you had to hit the next button. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. Yeah, no. Um, all because you move your finger to click a mouse doesn't mean it's interactive or it's active learning. Um, I, I think when it comes to multimedia, I, again, I think when it comes to teaching period, I think it's okay to lecture, which I know is a passive technique, but to keep it short and keep it focused. Um, when you get to the active side, that's a whole different conversation. What are you going to have people do? Make it meaningful. You know, if you're going to build a branching multimedia scenario where you have a case study, where you make a decision, it shows you a video, you make a decision, and then it branches to another video, which causes you to make another decision, and then eventually either you have success or failure because of the path you took. Okay. That's really cool. Um, but you know, even on a, a slightly less intensive, uh, it's a sliding scale. Well, yeah, a less intensive technical spectrum. Even if I'm having a learner passively watch a two minute video to set some foundational knowledge, what are they going to do with that next? That's kind of where the active learning is going to occur. Have them, work through that and demonstrate that they're doing something active with the information. So I think the key to this is you're not using video for video's sake, just like you don't use technology tools for technology tools sake, mm -hmm. you use it for a purpose and figuring out what that purpose is ahead of time and making sure you're having it be used. Yeah. And I think with genetics intentionally. Yeah. yeah saying is that it doesn't necessarily have to be all encapsulated within the video itself, but if that right. video is yes. a part of a larger activity, which does encourage the learner to act or create something like a, some sort of learning artifact. Yeah. Right. But I think she's saying that goal needs to be set out ahead of time. You need to yeah. be intentional with how you're setting these learning experiences up. So, so think about it like a soccer game that we might have been watching prior to this. You can't be <laughs> sprinting the entire time. You have to take a step slow down and catch your breath. And so when you think about that intentionality, there may be a time where you want to have a video where you're letting the student catch their breath and you're building a bridge from one activity to the other. There's a place for that. Just one more point, Stephen, in, in your webinar, you mentioned a very seemingly simple concept, but obviously important enough to go over in the webinar, and that's highlighting key information. Yes. And that, and, and that kind of goes back to, you know, do you really need to see the person on the screen the entire time? So you may want to throw up a slide that says, you know, here's a key point, you know, and again, if you can, if you can summarize your key point in two or three words, and then, you know, let's say you have like, let's say you're, you're trying to, you're breaking something down into three or four steps and you can break those down into three or four words, then you have that just like a PowerPoint slide, right. keep them focused and see, oh, this is going from one to the other. So basically you're trying to reduce extraneous and I'm air quoting here, extraneous load by helping the learners to determine which elements are important, emphasizing organization and connections. Are, are you going cognitive load theory on me? I am, and you know where I'm going to go with this. Bring it. Bring Richard it. E. Mayer's 12 Principles of Multimedia Learning. 
Yeah, and, and I, I, I'm going to... St- that's the signaling principle. Exactly. And I'm going to say that, you know, you think about the intentionality and the purpose. Um, I'll go to Gary Morrison. Mm. I'll, ra- I'll raise you a Gary Morrison. <laughs> and, name dropping. And, <laughs> because I'll never forget sitting in his classroom. Hey, there's a real name oh. drop for you. And him railing appropriately against the cognitive load that that the news agencies were putting on us in late 2001. You probably figure out why. The little with ticker. The, with that little ticker that became popular. And saying, which do I watch, the ticker or what's on the screen? Because yeah. yes. it's hard to do both. <laughs> and in fact, he was t- he even, I think at the time, said he took a piece of uh, cardboard and covered the bottom <laughs> of the screen to hide the ticker. I just changed the channel. Well, but that was the error right after. Um, oh, that no, was on no. every screen because of the news stories of, the, of that time mm. frame. So what do you all think the futures? Futures? Because we have many futures ahead of us. Well, you, you apostrophe well, us. Marvel, Marvel did just bring about the multiverse. So. That's, that's true, yeah. Spoiler what alert. does the future hold? I think the future holds more of it. Because like we were saying earlier, the kids these days, I mean, that's what they're doing. There's so many vloggers out there. It's, it's the person throwing up a 30-second video on Twitter and the person who has these vlogs that are 30-minute episodes. You know, it's the content that um, the Gen Zs, the millennials are consuming right now. And those millennials who are consuming that are our new faculty members. They're now coming into the classroom, right. not as the student, but as the teacher. And so I think you're going to see, in fact, I have, there are several faculty members I work with who are known for having their iPhone on a selfie stick. And they are known for walking in and just crashing people and just ambush them and start asking them questions because it's part of a shtick they do. And, and, and it's great. It's so cool to kind of go, we're going to get something. We're going to get some answers. We're going to get some, you know, and, and it's really cool what she does. Um, and then you, you think about that. You think about the again. We talk about technology. How it's cheaper. I mean, like I said, the latest version of iMovie for iPad just dropped. In I mean, the fact that on an iPad I can do that. That means I can shoot video in the field, and if I'm not driving, I can have it before I get into Wi-Fi range, edited and ready to post. <laughs> I mean, it's that's incredible. it's amazing how what we can do from that point of view. It used to be multiple weeks. You know, you think about, again, go back to the broadcast mindset, a 20 minute video could take you six months after the shoot, not before it. And as we get better at doing scripting, preparing beforehand, they're just going to get better and faster. When I sit and watch a video, especially a DIY one, and I'm, I'm not so much into needing to see who the speaker is in those types of videos. I just want to get to the point. But then I realized that there's a three-year-old who's watching someone open up toys and play with them. And that's enough for them. <laughs> that makes me wonder how the demonstration videos will start to be that's interesting. for us or for that generation. Well, my my son, he loves Paw Patrol. It's a cartoon for those who don't know. He, but he doesn't watch Paw Patrol, the cartoon. He watches the YouTube videos of people playing with Paw Patrol toys. <laughs> and he loves this. Hmm. So when you try to put it on. (laughs) Yeah, when Steven talks about the demonstration videos needing to just be the hands and showing exactly what is being done, I wonder if that will evolve into needing a full on, you know, person showing you talking. Parallel social learning right there somehow. And if if you go Mm -hmm. back almost 10 years ago to John Seeley Brown and whatever book came out about 10 years ago, he was talking about surfing uh, surfers, teenagers in Hawaii who were not on the national circuit 
for surfing, but became world champions very quickly because they honed their skills watching videos of other people. So we know there's a transfer of knowledge that happens with video. We know that this generation is now in the classroom as teachers. We know that the technology is in our pockets and easier to use, and it's getting cheaper to use. So that now leads us to things. So we know that, that that's a foregone conclusion. This is going to continue. The real question is what else is going to happen? And that I think captioning is going to become more and more standard, not because of the fact that, oh, we got to do this for disabilities, but people are thinking about it from a usability standpoint and making it for everybody. And it just, I think it's as we prepare, as people learn to prepare for their videos, it becomes easier to do the captions, especially if you script it out ahead of time. All right. Well, this was an absolutely amazing conversation for us to have, especially as a part two to our multimedia podcast. I'd like to thank Michael Morimarco and Stephen Crawford for contributing to today's podcast and myth busting with us. I would also like to thank our usual voices, Jeanette and Aaron, who are always ready to make some sense in the instructional design world. We want to hear from you, our listeners. What are some other misconceptions that are out there and need to be busted? You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD, as an in instruction by design, underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. I misspoke and then I changed it to pertinent and then you heard the misspeak and pertinent and thought I said impertinent. She thought I called you impertinent. <laughs> and I was like, no. Then I we define the terms for each other because that's what people do. I, I've been called worse <laughs> this week. <laughs> Today. <laughs>